clubhouse. Spencer, your brother has been killed. By the time you receive this letter, I suppose your uncle has been killed as well. Your nephew has been wounded. This ranch and your legacy are in peril. War has descended upon this place and your family. Whatever war you fight within yourself must wait. You must come home and fight this one. Welcome to Pod Clubhouse's coverage of 1923, a prequel series to Yellowstone. This is Caroline. And this is Mike. Tonight we're discussing episode three of 1923, The War Has Come Home. Tonight's episode was once again written by Taylor Sheridan, as these all are, and was once again directed by Ben Richardson. We've got the same team coming back tonight, Caroline. (laughs) We love it when there's a little continuity of creatives, yeah? Yes, yes, Westworld taught us that. Yeah. So just a community note, please join us on Facebook in the Yellowstone 1923, 1883, and 46's discussion and news group to discuss 1923 and the whole universe of Yellowstone shows. Hey, Mike, you know what? I know we don't cover all of the Sheridan universe because there is mayor of Kingstown, but I did want to hit on that because Jeremy Renner had that terrible accident this past week. And man, I just wonder how this is going to affect the Sheridan universe. Well, they've started doing advertisements before 1923 for Mayor of Kingstown again, I think, for season two of it. So Mm. perhaps they've already put it in the can. Hopefully. I know he's recovering. So let's think some good thoughts, though, for our Sheridan Universe actors. I want to give you guys a little programming note, only because sometimes there's a lot of confusion, especially with all of the different Yellowstone shows running around right now. This episode, we are discussing episode three coming up on January 8th. 8th, uh, Sunday, January 8th, is episode four, which we will be going to watch literally. We were watching the screener literally after <laughs> we're done recording this. Yes, and maybe we'll even hop right back on and get right back to you guys. Wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't that be amazing? Well, well here's the thing. So spacing out content-wise, episode yeah. four coming out on January 8th is called The War and the Turquoise Tide. Mm, I like to say turquoise. Turquoise? <laughs> the turquoise tide today the turquoise today exactly uh yeah so the war in the turqu- turquoise tide now i can't, <laughs> no, say, you can't it. say it <laughs> episode four uh comes out on sunday uh sunday january 8th and then guys brace yourselves we're gonna have a four week break we're mm. not getting another new episode of 1923 until February 5th. Woof. And we're not getting another episode of Yellowstone until the summertime, folks. Yes. We'll be wearing shorts. We'll be all shorn. Our legs will be shaven if Kara Dutton has her way. And uh, we'll be out in the sunshine. Not if she has her way. If, 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 <laughs> not if she has her way. If that fad She's continues. anti anti-shaving. I, I am too. So. You are? I don't want anyone to tell me I have to shave any yeah. part of my body. I'm not going to tell anyone else that they have to shave any part of their body. That's super fair. I reject shaving body parts. So. 
Well, I say to each his own, right? If shave what you want to, leave what you don't. There you go. It's whatever cool whatever me. your expression is. I do. I, I did used to shave the sides of my head, but in a post-pandemic world. What does that mean? Shave the sides of your head? For those guys who get the buzz cut, I used to get like a, you know, like oh. a, like a two, like a two on the side. Not marine scalp close yeah. but pretty close to to the skin on the sides and what's your to... wig look like now oh it's long and gray and luxurious so <laughs> long and gray. there's a fuck ton of it I, ever since it's been a post-pandemic Yikes. world i'm just letting it grow you've been eating your protein and not shaving huh I work at home. All the I play at home. I record at home. <laughs> I have no one to impress. I'm just out here looking like an old lion. Just oh my god! Well, there were lions in this episode, oh so that's god, a good tie-in. Just a reminder, you guys. We assume that you've watched this episode. We're not going to go through step by step and recap it, but we're definitely going to talk about highs and lows and predictions. So if you haven't watched it, please go watch it and come on back. 1923 is so interesting because so many shows, including all of the other Yellowstone shows, really kind of go segment to segment right you'll use let's use yellowstone and you know you'll have john and summer and then you'll have beth and rip and then you'll have the bunkhouse boys and then back to john and and summer and back to you know it kind of just goes around yeah Yeah, it's just kind of all the thing 1923 is very much set up in like isolation bits it's a very mm. interesting thing. It's like, let's finish all of the Montana stuff, and then we're going to take it to Africa for 20 minutes continuously. And then we'll come back for a horrible gun massacre at the end now, of the episode. what do you think's up with that? That's a that's an interesting observation on the structure. Do you think it speaks to this idea that nowadays we're far more connected, right? We've got cell phones, so you have like conversations between groups. You have quick transport between settings, between locations, because cars and helicopters and everything else that they use in modern day so now we have this like slowed down far more isolated like it's going to take a while to get a letter to spencer or it's going to take a while to get from town back home so maybe our settings are more divided like that i I think it's that i I think i'll take it one step further i think i think they're just separate worlds i think Mm. right now for what for spencer and and alex What's going on in Montana doesn't affect them in Africa and what's happening to Spencer and Alex in in Africa doesn't affect what, you know, the people back in Montana. They're very separate worlds. Obviously, that changed in this episode. What's happened in Montana very much is going to affect Spencer and Alex by extension. But up till now, these were very separate worlds. And I think the structure of the show's episodes where you're 20 minutes in Montana, 20 minutes in Africa, then maybe you go back to Montana again, but not flitting back and forth like you would in a normal show. I I think the, the emphasis there is these are separate worlds. The music is different. The cinematography is different the look the aesthetic the feel is different these are two separate shows as through the first three episodes that are are existing under the same banner of 1923 so i I think that's going to change i think it has to change now uh after tonight's episode for sure it felt like jack and elizabeth go on to have their their first time of love making and then we're in africa for like the next 20 (laughs) 25 minutes Like, like the sun comes up in Africa and Alex has stepped into a painting and we're off to the races for the next 20 minutes. Like, you don't have to worry about Montana. You're just now here in, in the Serengeti. I think it's a, it's a good observation and something for our listeners to pay attention to as these worlds collide more and we start to have the mixture and mingling of.
have characters from obviously Spencer and Alex coming back to the Dutton Ranch and all those types of things that I think that we're going to see those worlds to me, I think, be a little oil and water, right? We're going to have a little a little difficulty, I think, stirring those two lives together. Let's start with uh, some themes. Isabel May is back as Elsa in the voiceover at the beginning of this episode. I was utterly confused by this, Mike. I think a lot of people were. That's one of the reasons I wanted to. She doesn't really add a whole lot in this episode other than kind of setting. It's kind of like uh, the narrator in like uh, Our Town off to the side. Sure. And I would be okay with all of that up until the one sentence, my husband returned to me. Then I was like, what are they doing? There are no weekends on a ranch. The routine of Wednesday is the routine of Saturday. And the chores of Tuesday are still chores on Sunday. Though the banker and bookkeeper may be tethered to a calendar, ranchers are bound only to the seasons. And note the milestones of their lives by saying, we were married in the spring, or she was born in the fall. Or perhaps, on the hottest day, in the driest summer ever to plague Montana, my husband returned to me. Okay, so she starts off by talking about how there are no weekends on the ranch, right? The routine of Wednesday is the routine of Saturday. The chores on Tuesday are still the same chores as on on Sunday. We get that. That, That's a Taylor Sheridan cowboy life theme. Cowboy life doesn't take off. The the cattle always need to be fed. I guess what Kara is trying to explain to Elizabeth in the first episode in, in that pivotal clip that I played from that episode that I thought really summed up the cowboy life. More importantly for what else is saying here is because the days of the week don't really matter these people these pioneers they they dictate their life by the seasons and this is where you have to kind of put yourself into what she's saying she's speaking kind of like in a third person she's saying people will say things like i got married in the spring i had a baby in the fall or perhaps on the hottest day in the hottest summer in the history of Montana, my husband came home to me. So she's not saying my husband, Elsa. She's saying this this person, in, in this case, she's talking about Emma or Kara or Elizabeth as a fiance. Their husband came home to them on this day in Montana. That makes sense. And I appreciate you really teasing that out for our listeners, because that was definitely something that... I was like, okay, see, this is why the Elsa voiceover thing is just too much for the, for the average watcher who's folding laundry or who is eating dinner or doing other things while they're watching. That was confusing. So that was excellent to clear that up. I hope that that makes sense to everyone. It was just an example of what someone might say during ranch life. Not that Elsa was referring to her actual husband. Right. And let's take it a step further for this episode. It could be, you know, on this day, on the hottest day of in, in Montana, my husband was gunned down by a Tommy gun by an angry sheep herder. Right. That's just not Elsa. That's just not an just an example. That's not Elsa saying that. That's what, an example of what someone may say in this say. world. Yes. <laughs> Because right. exactly. that's that's such a common common thing to say. Just just throwing it out there. Just yeah, even, I appreciate um, that. It's a very good example. Spit very balling. good. I appreciate that they continue to remind us this is a lifestyle. This is a whole. I mean, you live, breathe, sleep, 
eat everything this ranching life. And I'm glad that they continue to hammer that home because it helps us stay in their mindset of like, why would they do the things they do? And for me, when it comes to character development, that is a huge portion of what I need as a watcher. I have to understand people's motivations and why they are where they are and why they're doing what they're doing, which really leads us a lot into the massacre and everything that goes on with that, because I really want to know like who's behind this, what's the motivation, where's everyone coming from? Is this so much bigger than just these sheep herders? We can't start with the massacre, though. We got to build up to that. Let's... <laughs> but you did set me up perfectly, though, actually, okay. about keeping it in our mind, because I, I think one of the episode themes, and this specifically, I think, is actually a show theme, kind of like the cowboy life, is this idea of modernity, mar- modernity, 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 yes, modernity? the concept of modernity and being modern, of being modern versus uh-huh. the Dutton way of life and and the way life has been in montana up until this point right you have jacob run into that gentleman on the street if this is progress you can keep it i know and he's like i walked around here for four blocks and i didn't recognize any faces i was like oh poor guy right and and this is not the first time we've had this conversation from the very first second we saw 1923 era bozeman and you know jacob and his posse riding in on horses versus the Easterners who've come to Bozeman in their cars. We've we've had this tension of the modern versus the, the past, the tradition. Let's listen to this clip of the quote-unquote Madison Power Company salesman uh, talking about the future. And you sell these? We rent them. So you sell electricity and then you rent all the things that need electricity? More or less? We don't need any of these things. Well, the conveniences. Their use gives you time to do other things. What other things? Well, like other chores. So you invent machines to do those, then what do we do? Go on a picnic. <laughs> go for a swim. Go to the cinema. You can enjoy a more leisurely life. It ain't more leisurely, because we got to work more to pay for all this stuff. He's got you there. This is the future. Every home in New York City has electricity. They have refrigerators. And some even have electric stoves. Now, here's the thing. We buy all this stuff, we're not working for ourselves anymore, we're working for you. And washing machine seems like a good idea, I must admit. <laughs> it is the future, ma'am. I appreciate modern appliances and the way they enable me to, you know, live a more leisurely life. But it's not lost on me what Jack and john are saying here this idea of the more you introduce these things the more we're end up working for you we got to pay lease payments rent payments on these appliances you're you're not making our lives easier you're just adding complexity into our life but they're also not the ones who do the cooking they're not the ones who are doing the cleaning they're not washing the clothes by hand and hanging them on a, a, a line outside in all of the weather conditions Kara is, Emma is, Elizabeth is. So I like the fact that you have Kara kind of whisper under her breath. It would be nice, you know. <laughs> right. The washing machine would be pretty excellent. Yeah. I mean, I, I felt it hard, like just as like, you know, stay at home mom kind of feel where you're like, ma'am, those aren't conveniences. Like they make life like, like doable, you know, but it reminds you of how much we're at that crossroads of, of actually having recreational time and the concept of recreational time like even the salesman was kind of grasping at straws to think like well what could you do with your extra time and it took him like
like two or three tries to be like, what about the cinema? What about going on a picnic? Like it took a minute because it, it's not so um, just knee jerk to say like, oh, obviously you would just go enjoy your time instead of working. Like that's still a very foreign idea at this point. And it is things like these appliances that afforded people the opportunity to go like have a picnic by the lake or, or you know, be able to spend any amount of free time, really. Read a book. If, you, if you'll allow me, Caroline. Yeah. I want to nerd like. out here a little bit on history. Oh, yeah? Do you know what? We got a really nice comment from someone. Five-star review that they left in Apple Podcasts, <laughs> which everyone is encouraged to do. Absolutely. I thought it was super nice that they said that they actually enjoyed you reading a little bit of history. So, of course, I will encourage it. So you see the sign as the as the shop pulls back at the end of this whole exchange. Uh, it says Madison Power Company. I believe this is meant to be a stand-in for the real company of, of the time, which was the Montana Power Company. The Montana Power Company was a real uh, energy company. It actually went bankrupt in 2002 and was bought by, by, I believe, Northwestern Energy. So it doesn't exist anymore. But they were a consolidation of several energy producing plants, as well as transmission power line company that was part of the companies, one of the many companies that were starting to string electric lights all through uh, Montana at this time. They used to supply electricity like is said in this episode, and would also lease appliances like electric ranges and uh, refrigerators that you could rent from them using the electricity. It's a really interesting thing because you, you hear it here, but it was really a real thing. It would be like paying Con Ed in New York and also paying Con Ed rent for your stove, your refrigerator, your washing machine, and your your dryer. I was actually like sitting there thinking about it, like, would I enjoy that? Because you could like still get like you could like rent like top of the line stuff then, you know, and like just have to rent the appliance. Like it was kind of a cool concept to me because because we don't do that, I guess, and you get stuck with something that you're like, there's something cooler and like a couple years later, you know, and you kind of wish that you could have just traded it in. So it was actually kind of intriguing. It's like how back in the day there was like delivery of everything like the milkman and bread and everything else and it went away and it seems so passe and then now it's totally back with a vengeance i feel the same way like i don't know renting appliances kind of seems like kind of cool my father told me once that his grandfather was an ice man who mm -hmm. was one of those people who would drive around in like a freezer truck and deliver like blocks of ice to to businesses and stuff and you could actually see the ice truck in the opening credits of car 54 where are you Aww, which was a funny. show that I used to watch on Nick at Night. I, who knows if it's true, but it's but it, it just reiterates <laughs> the thing that it was a thing that people used to do. Now, the appliances, if you zoom in on there, this, this salesman, this Harold Hill of a man, is hawking General Electric appliances. The refrigerator has a General Electric sticker on it. In 1903, Earl Richardson, he was a meter reader. He developed a small, lightweight version of the electric iron, which had been patented way back in 1882. Richardson's invention was eventually named Hot Point after the heating element that was uh, converged in the iron's tip so that you could more easily press like buttonholes and in pleats. 
Uh, that's why the that's why irons have that kind of to the tip that they do. Um, George A. Hughes was a 33 year old former journalist from Iowa who, at the same time as Richardson futzing around with a portable iron, a portable electric iron, he was experimenting with the first electric ranges, the first you know first electric stoves. After a few a few years of trial and error. Hughes created the first electric range that we know today, or the first version of the electric range as we know it today. In 1918, Richardson and Hughes, they joined forces, they merged their companies, and they sold it actually to General Electric, GE, the GE that we know today. That created the hot point automatic brand of appliances, which still exists. You'll, if anyone grew up in like Sears, like you always saw like hot point automatic. That's where this all comes from. That's the kind of refrigerator that's in this episode. It became a GE overall brand, but it was the Hot Point Automatic uh, brand that you see in this episode. Very cool. So, yeah, I thought it was very cool. I thought it was very cool. I love it when Sheridan brings in real life stuff like that. It makes it more fun and it makes it feel more, you know, trenched in actual history that's more accessible to us. Like, I don't know, there's something about the history of our appliances that feels more understandable to me than like what it would really be like to have to like be in like a gunfight on horseback like that feels like a million years ago yeah really hard to relate to that but the idea that not everywhere had electricity a hundred years ago literally a hundred years ago from you know from when this episode is airing is still crazy like it feels like we should have had electricity in 1923 in bozeman but no it was a thing i mean listen to john senior in that scene when he mentions when the salesman mentions that they're paving to the park they're paving the roads to the park and stringing lights as they go yeah their faces were like yo they're like (laughs) exactly yeah we're not gonna have to take an 11 hour horse ride to get home from here like you know imagine not have to spend the night because it got too late to go home but there's worry though on his face so that's the interesting thing he says it Mm -hmm. he says it with a little bit of shock but it's not like whoosh it's not he's not gleeful about it it's almost like this is changing and i don't know how i feel at a minimum i don't know how i feel at a maximum maybe almost scared of it or or at least having trepidation about that kind of change. When you think about the, the their way of life, the farm or ranching way of life, having existed pretty much unchanged for really thousands of years, you know, people really are working the land and working the animals really similarly. You know, there's there's microscopic improvements as you go along, but then all of a sudden there's these gigantic improvements with machinery and electricity and appliances and all of these things that happen that it must be like you're, practically taking like a time machine you know like you just are suddenly in another world a a world you don't understand it's not like it's not like something that you can almost relate to it's almost so foreign that you don't even understand it and your only reaction is to be kind of afraid of it yeah, which is fair, right? Because yeah. you want to protect your way of life. And that is definitely a Dutton motto in all of these episodes. Well, if you're taking, if your reaction to this allows you to store food longer, this allows you to wash clothes easier. If your reaction to that is, we're just going to have to work more and no longer, we're no longer working for ourselves, we're working for you. You're not going to be someone who's going to take the progress easily. 
Right. You know, the progress is going to be an enemy of you, as it is from Dutton's all through the ages. It was only, in just to quote Yellowstone, it was only when John Dutton, Kevin Costner, John Dutton, last season on Yellowstone was running for uh, governor, his entire platform was, I am the rock upon which progress smashes. You know, there <laughs> will be no progress as long as I am there. So, well, okay. So let me ask you, Mike, as, as a person who enjoys like sci fi, enjoys like all types of futuristic, um, movies, books, what, whatnot. Do you feel like there is any legitimacy to saying, I like how life is at this stage. I'm comfortable. Things are convenient to me at a certain level. And this is what I feel like is living like an honest, good, successful life. Is it okay to kind of want to pump the brakes on progress in that case? Or is it like, no, you've always got to just be open and be willing for things to change and be willing to adapt? I am a slow adapter. I don't buy new things as soon as they can come out. I was I was using a BlackBerry yes. years into the iPhone being created. It was my law firm no longer being willing to pay for a BlackBerry was what made me switch over to getting an iPhone. Can I tell you that only just recently, do and I mean recently, like within like the last couple of months, am I willing to like tap my credit card? I'm like, ooh, that's like weird. I still won't tap it. My gas, the gas station is always like, just tap here, tap here. Like, no. And I'm like, stop talking to me about tapping things. Yes, I've got to insert this and you've got to like make me put in my zip code. Yeah, not only just insert it, I want to swipe it. I want to swipe it through. I don't want to just stick my chip in. Like, no, what, what is with this chip? I was okay with the swiping thing only because magnetic strips always seem to wear and whatever, however they sit in my wallet always seems to wear. So like it was not uncommon for like <laughs> cashiers to have to like use like a plastic bag and like put my card oh, in a plastic remember bag. remember that? That's so the, funny. The little trick kind of thing. So yeah. I'm okay with the chip, but see, this is the thing. Like, you know, I, I love video games. I, I'm, I'm not a huge gamer, but I appreciate video games. I've spent my whole life playing video games, but I won't go buy like a system of the day it comes out. I always assume there's going to be bugs, right? New See, technology you're like already. sus of a little progress, right? A little sus about New it. New technology always has bugs. Like, I'm not getting in a self-driving car anytime soon. Let the, <gasps> no. You know, some, those the fuckers are going to crash for a while. Like, yeah. I want to make sure we get to the point where they're not crashing all the time. And, and you know, and I want to see the empirical data that they're safe before I go jump in one. So I'm a slow adopter. I, I, I am not I am not a wall upon which progress will smash, but I am not a fast adopter of technology technological advances either okay i think i think about the same as you i'm medium like i'm not one of those who are like i'm never gonna do it but i definitely approach things with a, i would say a fair amount of skepticism like is this the thing that is really going to be make things better for me just because it's more quote-unquote advanced does it make it better you know because it might be more complicated but it might actually you know not <laughs> make my life easier my son tells me all the time that chicken comes out great in his air fryer that he uses at his mother's house i don't feel a need Need to go get an air fryer. I don't think that's technology that's going to improve my life. Though I had to get a new microwave recently and it has an air fryer setting on it. So I felt like that was a concession to it. But I got to tell you, I've had the microwave for almost a year now. I haven't used the air fryer setting on it. I've only used the microwave setting on it. It does five other things. I can bake shit in it. I've only used it the microwave things. <laughs> it's the only buttons I know how to use. Well, so, but that's kind of the point, right? Like, so you have a more complicated microwave, but it didn't make your life better. 
So just because progress makes things more complex, it doesn't necessarily make it better, right? You don't necessarily use it. So I, I'm okay with them having a fair amount of concern. Progress to them is a threat to them. It's people coming in and building resorts. It's, mm-hmm. pe- it, it's driving them away from their way of life. It's someone looking to take the land. The most basic of our barbed wire example, you know, like that's not something that you and I think of as like a technological advancement, but it is, it is for them and how much that changed their lives, you know, how much it changed how you can traverse the land and how you can keep animals in or out or all those things. Like there's a lot to it that is such a simple, you know, it's a piece of wire, you know, with some, some spikes on it. So simple things like that is like made their lives more complicated, you know? Another great example of the future and and modernity versus the traditional way of life in this episode is the speakeasy. I mean, we are in 1923 at the very first episode. You and I talked about one of the things we were excited about was getting some of that jazz age era story that you always see kind of taking place in New York or in Chicago. Flappers and jazz music and doing the Charleston happening here in Montana. It was inevitable, right? Especially during Prohibition. And we finally get to see it tonight. Uh, I think there was a great line in here, Jack, when he first settles at the bar, says, how do all these Easterners know about this place? They're not from here. And I'm just hearing about it tonight. I think that encapsulates a lot of the Dutton way of life versus the march of life that maybe an Elizabeth Strafford, Jack's fiance, having been schooled in the East, that's something that she's looking for. She says to him, this makes Bozeman feel like a city. And he says, it is a city. And she kind of hugs him like, oh, you're a sweet, you're a sweet <laughs> right, right. Uh, Like, you silly boy, you don't know what a city is kind of thing. What did you think of the speakeasy scene, that whole vibe? I, I feel like you were born to be in a speakeasy. This feels like a, <laughs> a natural fit for you. I'm a mischievous human, so I definitely think I would enjoy the the secret nature of a speakeasy would be super fun. I enjoy it very much. Um, you know, I'm a Gilmore Girls watcher, and there is a scene from A Year in the Life when they go to a secret club, and I think it's super cool every single time it happens in a show. So I would have so much fun there. I was like, what's in a bee's knees? I want to know everything. I was eating it up. And I loved that we did like kind of dip into like, well, what's going on? on in culture nationwide or worldwide. Like, let's not forget that there's like still more in the world going on out there. And we kind of got to dip our toe by seeing like, oh, these are the dances. This is the music. This is what people are doing. The clothes, everything. I enjoyed having a little glimpse into that. In case you are wondering, the Bee's Knees was a prohibition era cocktail. It was made with gin, fresh lemon juice and honey. I think that sounds really good, doesn't it? It was served shaken and chilled, often with a lemon twist. The name comes from the Prohibition era slang, which means the best. And I actually use Bee's Knees pretty frequently, (laughs) and I didn't realize it was a Prohibition era word. I just thought it was, I I would have guessed it was something that came around in the 50s, not the 20s. But I Mm. use Bee's Knees pretty frequently. Uh, Definitely, yes, I I definitely probably use it at least (laughs) once a week in non-ironic conversation. And now you know. Like it's like a cocktail. How how amazing! I I kind of want to taste this. Like I'm very curious. I'm definitely more of a gin ricky guy myself. Okay. Which is like sweeter. 
Uh, no, no, actually. No. The gin is actually, it's very simple. Uh, okay. uh, gin Ricky, which was originally actually created using bourbon. Um, mm. so the original, the original Ricky was a bourbon based drink. About 10 years after it was created in like the 1880s, gin became the more popular version. So the gin Ricky is really simple. It is, this is from the 19, 1903 recipe published in the Daily's Bartender's Encyclopedia. You use a sour glass, you squeeze the juice of one lime into it, one small lump of ice, one wine glass worth of Plymouth gin, fill the glass with a uh, seltzer water, and serve with a small bar spoon to, sh- to stir it. Lime juice, gin, and uh, seltzer water, or, or carbonated water. That's it. Very okay. refreshing. Very refreshing. If you like, if you like gin, then a super refreshing summer day drink. So I think I'd be much more of a gin ricky guy myself. See, and I'm definitely ordering a bee's knees. I'm, I'm so not so curious. much about the honey. Like I, I like honey flavored things, but I'm not really going for honey, uh, honey like you know <laughs> smeared around my glass or whatever. Go right down. That's the that's the trick of it. A spoonful of honey makes the medicine go down. Is that I would the, say, yeah, your, it makes your... the gin go right to my belly. I love that. I love that. <laughs> then right into my bloodstream. <laughs> and then you'll be dancing. And then, then I'd be dancing. Be... I'd be doing my bee's knees dance. You know I'd be like, look at me. I'm doing the bee's knees. And you're... I'd be over there just doing a dance just because I had too many drinks. It'd be so funny. <laughs> you're doing like the thing, your hands on your knees, doing yes, like the crisscross. Yelling, I'm doing the bee's knees. Look at me and like laughing and laughing. Oh, yeah, so here's the thing. When she's like, Jack, I want to try the dance. <laughs> I want to try the dance. It's very, very Caroline energy. <laughs> Because he was taking it like she was just saying like, oh, hey, I want to try this. And he didn't get up. And so she had to be like, I want to try this. Then he's like, get your fanny dancing. I appreciated their little rapport. Listen, he is a he is a cocky cowboy man. I give him a lot of credit for getting up and doing the dancing. It would be very easy. And I think you and I know plenty of men, uh, oh God, real and fictional, men. who would be like, woman. I, uh, we do many things tonight, but dancing is not going to be one of them. So I give him a lot of credit for getting out there and trying it and like his friends not mocking him or anything. Like I thought that was some good cowboy vulnerability. I think they seem to respect the love and the um, obligation slash loyalty portion of it. Of like, if you if your lady is like, please, I want to go dance. Like, come on. Like that. He's not he's not going to embarrass her by not doing it by right. by rejecting her. And I love that because I I think you're right that that's something that we hear about a lot in the reverse. Like, oh, you should dance with a man if he asks you because you know you don't want to embarrass him or whatever. Like, that's dumb. It is. But at the same time, like, look at how much you see men say, like, no, I'm not going to dance. And they just sit there. And then the woman's, like, embarrassed, right? So it's like, there's something to, like, just, like, be cool with your partner. If they want to dance, like, come on. What does it cost you? You don't know any of these eastern city slickers. Oh, no. like, so what? Just yeah. try. Have fun. Right. And you know what? It gets him a cracked door oh, later on, yes. which, which takes me to my next episode theme. <laughs> Sex and living life intensely. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. Well, there's two very specific instances of sex being talked about in this episode and, mm-hmm. and, and very important for storyline, I think, prediction wise, narratively. I think when she cracks that door open, I was like, Oh, oh, I started to fan myself. Like I was I a gift. I know you did. I know you did. I know when it, I know when it happened, you sat up in your seat and you were like, uh, yes, I went, I put on a button down shirt and a tie and then I loosened it. 
I feel like you also like pointed at the TV, like turn around, turn around, men. The door opened a little bit. Like I could see you. It's like Leonardo DiCaprio pointing at the TV. Oh yes, yes, yes. It's I was. That gift. I was that You're guy. like turn yeah. around, turn around. Yeah, man. <laughs> you know? When that door cracks open, when she says, I'm, "I I promise I'm worth it. I, I'm promise. You know, I promise it's worth it to wait for it." I was like, "Yeah, I get it. You know, it's the time of the year." But when the door cracks open, I was like, the "Time of the year." What? Oh yeah. <laughs> I thought, okay, and also total Caroline line. I fumbled this, blah, 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 that whole thing. I was like, oh, the whole girl, thing, the beguiling pose on the bed. I would have said the whole thing. I would have totally said that. I would have embarrassed myself and then been like, I fumbled this, but like really secretly, I'm like, I didn't fumble shit. I'm doing awesome. Like this is amazing. <laughs> So I want to talk about this because did this depict to you an honest first time experience? I hope anyone listening to this episode where I curse incessantly is is old enough to have had a first time sexual experience. Mm-hmm. There certainly is sex, but it's not usually tenderly portrayed. So I'm curious, how do you think they handled this, uh, this, the, these two's first time? I think that they're not like 15 years old or something, you know, and so I think that you're getting too adult. I don't think they're much older, though. I think they're early 20s at the very latest. Yeah, but I still think that they have somewhat more, I don't know, worldliness about them to to not have it be like first time, like like young preteen teenager ish. So I, I think it was probably true to that portion. I'm they romanticized everything, obviously. There was a way more, you know, kind of swoopy kind of music and and you know, it made you feel like this was very this was very tender and romantic. And I appreciated it. It reminded me actually a lot of going back to eighteen eighty three. It reminded me a lot of seeing John and Margaret and and them being it's something about hotel moments, man. It just makes you feel like this is it we should absolutely get a little frisky it's clean here well i mean it's interesting (laughs) because we actually get to see we get to see elsa's first sexual experience Mm -hmm. on that show also and right uh, this was even more this was more tenderly done i think oh yeah Uh, because remember the last one everyone could hear them Right. And it was they, like pretty like, embarrassing. Like they, they they basically runted right like outside of Ireland's tent. <laughs> yeah, it was a little much, right? Yeah, no, I mean, I thought this actually had like kind of more of that epic movie kind of feel where mm-hmm. there are those kind of like swelling moments, cinematic. And like, like yeah, there's like the curve of a boob here or there, or whatever. Like that more kind of nudity stuff. than I would have guessed. I mean, it is a streaming show, so I guess they have the the time to. But I, I I'm not opposed to it. They probably could have done it without it too. Maybe it's the it's the verite of it all. They really want to express the tender innocence of it all. No, but you're right. I think that they they didn't need to show really anything. She could have still had her her shirt more, her like undergarments like buttoned up a little bit more or whatever, you know. Like, and we still would have gotten the same point. So you're right. They they took it a little bit further. They they. Everything in this episode was like that, though. Everything was taken a little bit further than our comfort level, including things going on with Spencer and Alex, things going on with the Duttons, um, with the shootout. Like, everything got escalated, right? Everything moved up a couple notches. And, you know, you felt like this was like, okay, things are speeding up on the roller coaster, right? For me, I love the scene. I thought this had the exact around of uh, right amount of fumbling. I like when she's like my fingers, like the idea of like I was trying to be so sexy here and I couldn't get it done a time. And he says the exact right thing of you haven't fumbled anything, but th- but they are kind of fumbling. There's nervous energy here. He has the exact right look of holy shit, I am so lucky right now. Like 
I, I, I am the luckiest man in Bozeman right at this moment kind of fit look on his face, which I totally appreciate. And, but, it, but not like they were practiced, not like they, neither of them had done this before. This felt real. This felt like this is the first time I'm ever walking through this set of circumstances. And it had that kind of right nervous energy about it. I really liked it. I thought, I thought it was a great button to this entire Bozeman tale, really, because again, we go off to Africa at this point. Um, after, after this, I think. So this was the end of the speakeasy night at the end of the General Electric and the Madison Power Company scene, all of that. This was a sweet moment of these two. And narratively, you have to wonder, this is exactly what Jacob had warned Elizabeth's father, Bob, um, about way back in episode one. You know, don't do the math too close when it gets to when they announce that they're having a baby versus when they got married. Because you may not like how the math works out. You have to wonder, especially in light of what happens at the end of this episode, is a baby being conceived in this scene? Narratively, I have to say yes. I, it, it just feels, it all feels like it's falling into place for exactly how we predicted kind of it playing out. You know, they had to not wait until they were married narratively for me. Oh, I agree. And I think that, you know, we've been talking this whole time, like there's got to be, there's got to be parentless children somehow involved here. We both vibed that, that the idea of them, there's always these straggly kids that get adopted in by the Duttons somehow, right? An uncle or an aunt somebody somewhere, cousins, what have you, even strangers that end up becoming family. So yeah, this fits right in that like, yeah, we needed, and we needed them to get to this part because you have to fall in love with them falling in love so hard so that it can hurt really bad <laughs> when things aren't working out. Right. Exactly. You you can't have lows if you don't have highs, right? You can't, mm-hmm. the pain, pain and grief doesn't mean anything if you don't have the love and the, and the high tender moments. So yeah, if they didn't make you see them dance. As soon as you make them dance, you get my heart. Nice. Anywho. Anywho. Um, but that's not the only lovemaking and living life intensely that we've seen. We got to go over to Africa because we've got to talk about these two wacky kids, Spencer and Alexandra. Uh, lions aside, they are the poster children for living life intensely in this episode, on top of the amount of sex that apparently that they're also having here in the in the Serengeti. Sometimes three times a day. Day's not over yet. Woo! I'm, I'm still loosening that tie. It's, I didn't even re I didn't even retighten it after the after the Jack and Elizabeth scene, but now it's fully undone. We're calling this big Dutton energy, and this is hot shit. Let's. There's three clips here that are part of the Live Life Intensely trilogy from this episode. So I'm gonna I'm gonna play them. We'll talk about them. This is the first one. But if it was that hard to ask about a nickname, I won't hold my breath for a proposal. Proposal. I must say, you appeared much smarter at the bar. A marriage proposal. <laughs> I won't hold my breath. Hell, I'll ask you that right now. <laughs> I mean it. <laughs> I think this affair might need to mature beyond a day. Why? What for? Are you worried there's things about me you might not like? I can promise you there's plenty. I didn't hear a question. Marry me. That's a statement. It's a demand. You're Americans are birds. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> 
I know a lot of people are, are going to and probably already having problems with this. You've known her for 48 hours. You've known her for three days. You've known her for one day. What are you doing? What is happening here? This isn't realistic. This is this is hokum. This is bullshit. This isn't how anything like this would play out. This is a guy who has, in, in the short time we have known Spencer Dutton, he has been attacked by a lion, tackled by a lion. He has been clawed near to death by a leopard. He's currently hunting a spotted hyena, saw one of his only friends mauled to death by a leopard, saw another leopard take a woman into a fucking tree and eat her throat open. He, he, how much time do you think Spencer thinks he has? I don't think Spencer thinks he's getting to retirement age. So I think he has to live life intensely. He has to make these decisions. He has to make these demands. He doesn't have time to, to wish wash. No, I don't think he does either. And, you know, this woman is bold as hell. Like, think about, again, she didn't just sneak out her window in the middle of the night. Like, she walked away from all of her friends and family, like, just them with their eyes boring into the back of her head. She just ran to a car. Like, this is a woman who makes these types of decisions that are this bold and brash and and fast. And so it actually can it, it didn't seem weird or out of the blue at all for me that they would get engaged because, you know, they feel like they want to say we have this massive commitment to each other. Also, of the time, you know, we're talking about, you know, sex before marriage. We're talking about, you know, reputations of women, all this kind of stuff. All this stuff matters. And so, you know, I feel like there is something to be said that, like, if we're going to be having sex twice, three times a day, maybe we got to say we're exclusive here in some way. What do you think about the idea of you think there might be things that you don't like about me? I guarantee you there are going to be plenty. I, you got to appreciate the honesty. Bold, if nothing else, but but also true. Like, they're, even with the closest partners, even with Kara and Jacob in their 44 years of marriage, I'm sure if they were being honest with each other, there are things that drive them crazy about the other. Yeah, sure. I mean, they're just human beings. I mean, I think that there's so much about Spencer that he is actually being self-aware about. The fact that he does have this PTSD from war times that he still very much owns and and doesn't try to hide and try to act like, you know, when he says things like, this is the only way I could feel for a while, like he's being very open and very honest about these things. And, you know, everybody's working through their crap. At least he's saying, I got crap I'm working through. It's going to be gritty. And you know what? She's like, okay, I can like go along with this. I appreciated the boldness of her prompting the proposal. Now, you as a guy, what do you think of that? Well, given her circumstances and what she ran away from, forward, sure. But given what she ran away from to jump into his car, it makes sense. It makes sense. Like, she she didn't want to marry that guy in that situation. She didn't want to be part of a real estate transaction. She didn't want to be on a train with a destination not of her choosing. But she wants a destination. She she thinks this is the guy. This is This is understanding fate. And kismet and seizing that moment when it's there in front of you. Both of these two know that they're it for the other. You could tell that the, their eye contact alone when they first met 
That's not normal eye contact. That is your my soulmate kind of eye contact. I think their relationship so far in the couple of episodes that now we've seen them is so visual as much as auditory. This is one of those times that I wish we had like a YouTube show of this where <laughs> I could just sit there with my pointer stick and look, look at the eye contact. <laughs> look at they are boring into each other. Well, and how about even how they do the camera work where when they both are coming out of the tent, right? And they were standing by the campfire and they're standing side by side and you can really compare and contrast like say their costuming and see how like pristine hers is and hers is tailored she's wearing these joppers that are just tailored just perfectly to her tiny little waist in this no iron you know beautiful silk material on her top and all this kind of stuff and then you have him and he is just like dirt from head to toe you know and he's just covered but there's something about it that works you know and you kind of get the idea that she's sort of like costumed to be on a safari and he is the freaking safari you know and so she's throwing all in with this guy we also have to remember the times you guys this is a hundred percent a time when you can't make it out there single as a woman you gotta you have to get married you have to partner up in some way because this life structure is not set up for you to be a single woman in the world this has been discussed so much in 1883 but the concept of how do you be a woman maintain some amount of freedom but you have to find some sort of um, safety in numbers, basically. That's the only way it works during this time. Can we talk about pregnancy for them? If you're going to be having sex all this time, are you, I mean, are we not like knocking down the baby's door in two uh, seconds? For, for sure. But let's play the second clip because I think I like, I like pulling clips from different parts of the episode. Now these, these two clips are only two scenes apart from each other, but hearing them kind of back to back, I think goes a long way of answering the, this is too quick. This doesn't make sense. This is not how this would be. We, we got to play this clip and then we definitely need to talk about kids with them. I've never felt small before. I've never felt like my life. Our time here is an eye blink. It's one exhale breath and then we're gone. That's why I'm not wasting any time with you. You and I were just talking on nothing to do with 1923 or anything Yellowstone. You and I were just talking about how small we feel in the cosmos. Because you're talking about galactic years. Cause, yes, because you were you were you were educating <laughs> me about uh, some of your life learn lifelong learning that you were doing in galactic years and the cosmos. The Milky Way and how long it takes us to go around it and whatnot. Go ahead. Yes, yes, yes. When I heard this clip, I felt very like seen because I think about this all the time, how short life is, how little we are, little in the sense of the giantness of the planet the length of time that this planet has been around, the relative youth of this planet in the grand scheme of the cosmos and how little space it all takes up. We're here for so little time. How could you spend time quibbling over so much of the bullshit that we spend so much time quibbling over and worrying over? You just kind of have to go do it. You have to. Life is fleeting. So spend the time that you have. It's so limited in the grand scheme of things. Spend it making yourself happy and making those around you happy and loving hard and living life intensely. You should always get up and dance, people. Always. Never never say no to dancing. Get up. Hey, you know what I have to tell you? Because we talked to this about this a lot in 1883. We talked a lot about lifespan, right? And that it was like actually quite low. It was like in the 40s. By the time you get to 1923, 
1973, the life expectancy is a little bit higher. Actually, we get to about 56 years old, uh, 58 if you're a woman. So there is that. And one thing that I was reading a little bit more in depth into these types of statistics. And one of the things is that if you made it to about five years old, your expectancy rate went way higher. And if you made it to 15, then you're like really, really, really likely to live much, much longer. And why this is, is because we had no vaccines for childhood illnesses. So a lot of the stuff, a lot of the accidents, a lot of the illnesses happened 15 and younger. So if you could make it into adulthood at all, you stood a fairly decent chance of being able to to, to make it into hopefully your 40s or 50s. But it was childhood that was rocky as all get out. So again, Remembering, so Kara and and Jacob, these they are, they're anomalies to to have made it this long, but they also avoided one of the number one killers for women, childbirth, because they don't have any kids. They sort of circumvented some of the the pitfalls, if you will. There's a line, only, uh, and you brought up a year in the life from Gilmore Girls earlier. There's a line. There's a line in the. Uh, Stars Hollow, the musical, where Christian Borle and Sutton Foster are singing about how they have eleven kids and hope that three survive, mm-hmm. uh, because it, it's taking place in the in in years past, in you know ye old times. So yeah, it's it's true. I, let's talk about kids though, because there are two mention of children between these two in this episode. Right after the first clip that I played, Alex says, "Can we go on now to where the the footprints are, or do we else?" Do you, we have other things we need to talk about? Perhaps our children's names. That was so funny. And that's so me. <laughs> that's so the shit I would pull in the same day. I'd be like, are you going to propose? Okay. Are we naming our kids? Okay. Right. And Spencer kind of, you know, he puts her off. I love how they interact because he, because he's like, you know, like whatever you're being sarcastic, but he does say it is worth, you know, worth talking through and considering. So I, I like how he kind of takes her seriously as a way to like disarm her. But then after the clip that I just played here, there's a whole interaction. There are a couple of things that are important to talk about. She says, when I first saw you, I only saw a sullen man, but now I see the boy in you, our boy in your eyes. He responds without missing a beat. I see him in yours. That's the second mention of children in this ep between these two in like a five minute span. Given that, given with the amount of sex that we're having, which we're going to play in one second. We're going to play the sex. All right. Well, we're going to play the start of the sex um, (laughs) and the lead up to the sex. You know, you have to put these two having a kid on the board. Timeline wise, if you are sold on Tate Dutton, the child of Casey Dutton and Monica being the seventh generation upon which the land goes, Spencer's kid doesn't get you there. Numbers-wise, it just doesn't work out because Dabney Coleman, John Kevin Costner's John Dutton's father has to be born pretty much in like the next year in order to make the numbers work or the next couple of years in order for Kevin Costner to be born in like the mid-50s, early to mid-50s. So numbers-wise, it wouldn't make sense that Spencer's kid is that line. But given the amount of sex that they're having, I'm sure they're not using protection. I'm sure she's not on birth control, if that even existed in 1823 in Africa. (laughs) Uh, You know, you have to put kids on the board, for sure. This is the last part. This is the clip that comes about after they've gotten out of the tree, after the lines are dead, the people have been, the lines have been driven off. They're in the car. And we're talking about feeling and feeling alive. Now, this is a callback to their last episode where Spencer, in his first conversation with Alex, had said that I do what I do because living this dangerously is the closest you'll ever feel to living to being alive. I looked death in the eye and I didn't feel alive, Spencer. 
I only felt horror. What you felt? I never said it was gonna be fun. I just said you feel. I don't want to feel like that. Do you understand me? I don't ever want to feel like that again. For a long time, that was the only way I could feel. Until I met you. And I don't ever want to feel that way again either. Let's settle that. Tomorrow you'll find a new job. Honey, that wasn't my job. That was just you and me taking a drive in the country. Perhaps I should alter my perspective. Price of making love under the sun twice in a day is being attacked by a pride of lions. Three times. Days not over yet. <clears throat> I, I feel I should point out that I can hear every word you both say. And you understand why I'm asking you to drive faster? Or just to have sex in the back of my altar. She says, that's why I have to go faster. She's, she, <laughs> Julia Schlafer is killing oh it God. in this role. Shut up. I feel like I need to use that in my life and be like, and that's why I asked you to get the milk faster. <laughs> I mean, they're, go, so they're getting down to Bone Town in here because they want to feel alive. I need that big Dutton energy and I need it in the Inside back of this me. auto right now. <laughs> They're going to be those people who like crash cars in order to have sex. They're going to like, they're going to have to be a part of like lion attacks to have sex now. <laughs> More than that, it's like they're going to be at dinner at like a big Dutton dinner. Uh, and, and she's like, excuse me, I have to go to the bathroom. And he's like, oh, I do too. And they're just going to fuck in the bathroom real quick just because they need to right then. They cannot wait. They're even more than that. They're going to be the type that go into the kitchen that's going to be full of staff. And they're going to be like, leave us, leave us faster. <laughs> <laughs> They're total island humpers. Yeah, uh, 100%. And <laughs> Kitchen island humpers. And if the staff doesn't get out, they're just going to do it anyway. They're doing it anyway. You're going to get an eyeful. Yeah, so if you are easily offended, <laughs> stay away from Spencer and Alex because they will fuck in front of you. Y'all, this episode was body. We cannot help but be a little risque in our conversation. So I hope you're not turned off by this. I hope that you are, I don't know, faster into turning on. But, you know, this is this is the way this episode felt, didn't it? It had this energy to this it. This is the Can't living life it. intensely. These are two yes. people who don't know if they're going to be alive live tomorrow mike is wigging out <laughs> well i think it's important because i think we all need to live life a little bit more intensely and a little bit more urgently what are you gonna do this is my curiosity now mike is like making proclamations what are you gonna do mr i don't know life? between this and the life and death brigade and gilmore girls i'm feeling very much like we don't have a lot of time we have to we have to you ramp gotta up start our jumping off of stuff and yeah, whatever get me a little parasol i need to jump off a of a off of a tower <laughs> In Omnia Paratus. You know, hey, would you Paratus. like to know a little fast fact? Uh, Do you know the dresses that they wear in that I Jump, You Jump Jack, that episode? Mm -hmm. Those are just the same dresses as from the bridesmaids scene. They're just dyed differently. Oh, that's very funny. Yeah, just a little, just a little costuming little thing for you. This is our sub-podcast, The Gilmore Girls Revisited. 
<laughs> Mike's watching it, and it's one of my fave shows. So every time he has a question, he has to come back and ask, and I'll try to give him a little, little, little sprinkle of of uh, behind the scenes knowledge. In uh, in the clip between Spencer and Alex with the I see the boy in you, our boy in your eyes, and that scene, that conversation continues, and Alex says to him, "My parents will fucking hate you," and Spencer <laughs> responds, which is which is funny, and Spencer <laughs> responds, "Mine will love you." Now, Aww. those in eighteen eighty three know his parents are dead, y'all. <gasps> That's so sad. Dead. We learned in the first episode, Margaret died in a snowbank. Uh, yeah. And, you know, from season four of Yellowstone and, and the assumption is, and based on the information we got here, is that uh, Tim McGraw, James Dunn has been long dead in, since 1893. So what a wiggy comment, huh? So, so, but you have to think, in 1894, Spencer could not have been more than 10 or in 1893, because he wasn't alive in 1883. So he was not more than 10 and probably somewhere in the seven, eight-year-old range when his parents died. Kara and Jacob, it makes sense that he would really, they would be the only parents that he's really ever known and that he would think of them as such. Whereas John, his older brother, was 15 and would have had an established, you're not my father or you're my uncle, not my father. For Spencer, you could see why it would be much more blended or or much more, you are my parents. You're the only parents I remember, really. Yeah, I agree with you. And plus, I kind of feel like he meant like his brood in general, right? Like just bringing him to the Dutton ranch, it was going to be with open arms, that they were going to be excited to have such a bold and brash woman as a part of their group. Uh, this is a show short on humor, but when there is humor, not only are Spencer and Alex the horny couple that are going to have sex at the drop of a hat, they're also the two funniest on the show. The clip leading up to Will You Marry Me, that was him being very super serious because he needed to have her permission to shorten her name. And there's some great back and forth there between the two of them about, you know, let's say there's a line or you're going to yell at me. I'm not yelling at you, but in your direction. And let's say there's a line and it says, Alexandra, there's a line. You have to get down and it's just too long. And that holds the back and forth. Very funny, very <laughs> tongue in cheek, very like very dry humor. But I wanted to highlight this one section because they've now engaged for a little bit they have spent most of the night up in a tree firing guns at lions and 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 hyenas that are trying to eat them a bull elephant tried to kill them earlier in a the day they've had quite a day <laughs> and they've had quite a day and then they have as they're being let out of the tree they had this interaction which just made me laugh i watched it a couple of times i'm gonna send alex down to you alex my fiance. She was a few hours ago. She's still my fiance. We'll talk about it in the car. <laughs> That's exactly what I would say. It's a hundred percent what you would say, but she's all disheveled. She spent most of the night screaming, and she's like, "We'll, oh my we'll God. talk about it in the car." Okay, see, so right. funny. I, see, I think their dynamic actually—they had a little George and Gracie going on there, right? A little George Burns, right? And it, it had a little action, especially like the kind say of like, good night, say Gracie. Exactly, I was going to say that exact line: "Say goodnight, Gracie," and she's like, "Goodnight, Gracie." Like you could kind of see them doing that together a little bit. It was—I thought that was super cute. Also, though, I have to say. I, we're going to all have to adopt the concept of not saying be quiet or shut up, but instead saying no sound, just putting your finger to your lips and going no sound, because that's what Spencer did. And I was like, that is so funny, because that is like, that's not offensive to anyone, right? Being told be quiet is kind of offensive, but being told no sound is like, 
okay, I should I, like, I, I know I take that differently, but then, okay, I'm not going to blow out everyone's ears. Okay. But the, um, the way that she cries after that, where she's like, <laughs> very funny. <laughs> it's so big and huge. The fact that he said no sound. And then she's like, <laughs> it made me laugh so hard. Cause I was like, I was like, lady, no sound. <laughs> like, I was like, cease, cease, lady. And I know, I mean, hello, there's like a lion and whatnot. I mean, that was all freaking insane. And then when you actually saw that they were only like three feet off the ground, like that tree was so not high at all, but they took ropes to climb up it, which kind of made me laugh because I feel like she, he could have picked her up and just pushed her up the tree, you know, and instead they're doing it like, like, like rock climbing grips and whatnot. Like I was like, this is kind of funny, but I actually thought I actually saw a behind the scenes photo. I have to see if oh. I can put it into the Facebook group. It's actually, it's actually uh, Julia who plays Alexandra in the tree with a blue screen behind her. So it's just kind of like funny, like movie making magic. Uh, you know what? There's, there's definitely scenes that are supposed to be the Africa scene that I'm reading as on a soundstage. I'm reading, there was parts where there, when there was like sort of like African, like sort of like tumbleweed, sagebrushy looking kind of, but it, it absolutely looked like it was on a stage. There's definitely portions of this that make me wonder, you know, what exactly are we looking at? And of course, the animals we know are all being protected and, and are safe and none of this is really happening. So, Oh, one thing before we leave these two in Africa, we have to mention Spencer has a lucky rope. It's yeah. specifically brought up in this episode. I have to wonder if we're not going to see the lucky rope again. I think lucky rope's coming back, man, Throw, for sure. Throwing that on the old uh, poster, the old uh, cork board of, of things we have to keep track of, the lucky rope. If you guys are really into this dynamic, I have to suggest taking a look at, if you've never seen it, the Michael Douglas, Kathleen Turner movie, Romancing the Stone, and then Jewel mm. the Nile, Jewel the Nile, its sequel. Michael Douglas and Kathleen Turner, very similar Spencer, Alexandra energy. I like it. I like it. You're very right on. This is old school, but it's real. Take this recommendation. Yeah, especially the first one. Renting Stone, very strong Spencer Alex energy if you're into mm -hmm. this dynamic and you're enjoying the whole thing. But the last thing, only because we're talking about things that made us laugh in this. Again, just a good banter between these two. He says, he's like, Alex, we've got ourselves in quite a pickle. Oh, what's the pickle? Well, we need a higher tree. And she looks around. She takes a notice. She looks around at the sparse trees in the area. She's like, there's no higher tree. He says, that's the pickle. It was very <laughs> funny. I mean, I just like... It's I like Georgia Gracie to yes. me. Like, there's yes. something to that where there's... It's a little like, you know, he sets up the joke in a way that kind of makes her come off a little a little silly sounding but it but it works because because he maintains her dignity and everything it's not like he's mocking her for he's not, not knowing mocking these her things. and he is not condescending to her and it would be mm -mm. very easy for him to be like you are some high-end british lady with no uh, nothing to do here but he doesn't he doesn't treat he doesn't talk down to her he is only acting in a way to keep her alive he's not berating her or mocking her in any way and i like that and that's that's very dutton I think makes Spencer a very good guy that you can root for, an easy guy you can root for because of the way he's treating her. I agree because of the time and and really this stereotype of a guy would be really misogynistic and really shitty to her and, and would have a lot of reasons to act as if she wasn't capable. And he never does. He's like, get up the tree. Give me your hand. Let's go. Like, he's never like, oh, little lady, be quiet. Like, right. I didn't she's, get that. When the, when the elephant turns the car over and then he shoots him so they have to climb out of the car, she's shell-shocked. And he says, Alex, give me your hand. 
And like, she doesn't respond because she's shell shocked. And he says, Alex, give me your hand. He doesn't say like, for fuck's sakes, woman. He doesn't like berate or anything. Like, this is an urgent situation, but he's not, he's, he's being urgent, but he's not being rough with her. Yes. Yes. And you know what? I, I picked up on that. Give me your hand thing. He says it so many times with her that it's something that I'm going to put on the little corkboard because I feel like that might even be like the last words between the two of them. You know, whenever we get to that point, which, which, uh, you know, Sheridan has a way of bringing us all the way to most of these characters demises. Um, it would not, su- it would not surprise me at all to see him say like, give me your hand or she say, give me your hand to him on like a deathbed sitch. Oh, I definitely feel like anyone that are keeping, uh, Sheridan odds definitely has Alex on the death board. The way yeah. these shows work, I think I, I would be remiss if I didn't warn you to keep that in the back of your brain as a way of preparing yourself for it. One of these two, I feel very strongly, don't make it out alive at the end because they're too good together. They have too much chemistry. They're too right for each other. And they're both embracing life intensely to circle it back to the episode theme. Well, and in this case, too, I think that there's such a likelihood. Obviously, we know they're going to go back to the ranch that there's something very tragic if they were to go back and be in what's considered the safe place, right? Not on a African safari in a wild, you know, out, you know, outback kind of craziness or whatever, right? None of that. But you're just like back at home and you die. Like that's, that's how this shit runs, right? Like, of course you would just get like bit by a snake or fall off a wagon or something, you know? It is time to take it back to Montana. I'm glad you told us too. The Montana massacre. M squared. The last episode theme that we have is stalking, uh, stalking your prey and hunting and mm. hunting prey. It's the same way that Spencer has been brought to the Serengeti here because there's a spotted hyena hunting for sport, not a typical animal thing. This hyena is hunting for sport. It's not hunting for kill. It's not hunting necessarily for meat. It's it's doing it kind of like as a way of fucking with humans. Mm. This hyena. He's messy. Hyena. I thought some serious therapy, Mike. Uh, yes. Well, she's either <laughs> old or she's hurt, is what Spencer uh, oh, diagnosed. And we know we always say hurt hyenas hurt other people. Hurt humans. <laughs> hurt hyenas hurt humans. The four H's. My mom pronounces it hyena, and I can't hyena. not say it that way because it just makes me laugh. I thought it was interesting when Spencer was talking to Alex, too. He mentions about when they're looking at the elephant and he's talking about how elephants don't make sense to him. There, There's some talk in this episode a little bit of, about evolution and, and where creatures come from. I don't want to get into that because I don't think anything, I don't think anything in this episode was like evolution denying. I don't want to, I don't want to open that can of worms. I know some People are like, as soon as you hear evolution, they're like, oh, he's a flat earther. I don't think so at all. I think he was being whimsical about elephants are such a bizarre creature for humans to behold up close. This idea of they feel like they just came out of the clouds and were shaped into a living thing. The 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 ability to actually process it when it's in front of you and not in like a safari at Disney or in a zoo, but in its natural element that you're intruding upon, which is what he's telling Alex, right? Animals here act like humans are a nuisance that have been harassing them for millions of years. They probably have. Whereas in Montana, animals run from humans. They live in fear of them. Here, a fucking elephant's gonna run at you because you're on you're trespassing on its land 
So the Scopes Monkey Trial was in 1925. So we're only like, you know, 18 months away or something from that going on in Tennessee. So there, I mean, the topic of evolution would be something topical to be talking about. So whether or not, you know, the Duttons believe or they don't or whatever, it doesn't really matter. But it does give us a glimpse again into like, what are the current events of the day? This was something people were talking about. This is the other part of the podcast, in addition to being a Gilmore Girls Rewind, uh, also a <laughs> movie recommendation. You guys. <laughs> movie recommendations is go go either read or watch a version of Inherit the Wind. It's, it's a great play, and it's a way to digest what this controversy is that Caroline's talking about. But it helps to understand that this is the time frame, though, that people were discussing this, and, and the topic of, you know, God versus nature and all that stuff. Again, a huge theme throughout all of Sheridan's universe here. We get a lot of God versus versus nature, versus man, versus how does this all work, you know? Um, and so they're discussing that very topically again in 1923. This uh, this is a theme of the show that we're seeing of who has rights to the land? Who is the nuisance? Who is the invasive species? Who has a right to belong here? When the Duttons are in Bozeman for their day field trip because it gets too late for them to go back today. So they all decide to hang out there. John and Emma are walking through town and Emma's having this nice little thing about how she wants to be pampered. She wants to go to dinner and have someone wait on her kind of thing, which is all very sweet. We really have had very little John and Emma scene so far in the show, but we see there's a man watching them. The Duttons are being hunted. The episode begins with Banner returning home on foot after his harrowing escape from the noose. And oh, that foot, Mike. Oh, that foot. I was eating dinner and I had to hold my hand up over my eyes because that foot was so gruesome. Ooh. We, we we meet his wife. We learn he's got a son named Henry. Henry is, is told to go bring Frank Campbell to the house and then go to the archers. Um, presumably the man that is hunting the Duttons, that is spying on the Duttons through Bozeman, is one of the raiding party that we'll see later on in the episode. But they are now the prey. The Duttons are the prey, and they're not aware of it. The same way the engineer on the railroad in Africa is being hunted by the spotted hyena and isn't aware of it. And it's not necessarily for sport, but it's not for meat. They're being hunted for revenge. They're being hunted because, as Banner says, when his wife asks what happened, he says the fucking Duttons happened. The parallel is there. The The idea that you're being hunted and then ambushed, it doesn't matter if you're on the savannah and it's a hyena or a lion or, or whatever, or if it's a gang of angry sheep herders with their guns taking your family out in an open wagon in the middle of nowhere. So what do we think about that guy who is hiding in the alley? I mean, again, you know, there's this concept that, okay, we, we know we have this group of sheep herders, right? But, how, you know, where is Banner getting a car? Where is he getting a Tommy gun? Where, you know, they do have this lookout guy. Like, what's going on here? Who, is there something bigger than, than just this, this disgruntled group of guys? I mean, you're raising a great question. This was one of the big questions that people have to be aware of and think about and and easy to maybe not think about it in the visceral reaction to what happened, because th this last 20 minutes of the episode, this was a lot. This was something I was expecting to happen. This massacre, this ambush. I was expecting something like this, but not in episode three. You were? Uh, yeah, I, I was expecting some revenge move because just I've watched a lot of mafia movies. You know, it, it's the Duttons made a big move. They killed seven of the sheep herders men because the sheep herders went on their land. There has to be some escalating response here. 
right? So I was expecting some escalated response. It was more than I thought it would be, and I didn't think it would be in episode three. That's the thing that shocked me the most. We're just still learning about this world. We're just still getting sucked into what everything is happening and the players are. We don't really know Banner that well. We certainly don't know Frank Campbell, the archers. We don't know who the lackeys are, who the other sheep herder men are. But someone is funding Banner. He is a poor sheep herder who is barely struggling to keep his sheep alive. He doesn't own a car. He doesn't own a Tommy gun, which is a generally new weapon at this point and not, not, you know, not available in your local gun store. You can't go in where you can get, maybe get a revolver or a shotgun. You can't go pick up a Tommy gun. Like someone's funding banner. And I think that's the big takeaway from the banner part of this massacre. Well, and something like a Tommy gun definitely is associated with connections and like with the mob and gangsters and mafia type feel like you get that you get that feel the second you bring out a Tommy gun, like you're bringing in a whole other element that is not about ranchers. You know, you're like, wait, what is this foreign object doing in amongst this whole group? You've got the car and the Tommy gun. What is happening here? Someone injected something into this. Obviously, the big drop jaw moment is the Tommy gun mowing down Harrison Ford. I mean, I couldn't talk about the, the, the uh, Leonardo DiCaprio pointing at the screen. I mean, I was like, what is happening? Like, I, Oh my God. Oh my God. I was never, ever expecting Harrison Ford to take a body of bullets like that. No, I, I think you and I rightly predicted that John Sr. is, you know, played by James Badgedale. I think you and I rightly predicted that he was not long for the show because it wasn't going to be his show. The fact that he was a guest star, he, he wasn't even appearing in the main credits in like a guest starring role. He was just subjugated to the end card credits as a guest star. Which I do want to compliment the casting, though, because I think he's a really excellent bridge between what Tim McGraw looks like and then what the boys look like. Yes. Great like, casting. He was he was really, really good across the board. I think they did an excellent job with casting. We've talked about how Brandon Sklenar looks like a like looks like a Dutton very much can be a, a forebear of Casey Dutton. Um, and and James Badgedale definitely looks like someone who would be related to Tim McGraw. And Tim McGraw has a really specific nose and there's something that, I mean, they just did a great job of capturing just that really specific little twisty nose that I he think has. For me, it was even more, it was, it was the His heavy, eyes too. it was the heavy beard and the eyes and the, the, the really heavily tanned skin. Mm. Uh, the, the whole vibe was if you line these guys up and be like, these are brothers, you know, uh, if, <laughs> talk if, about Darwin evolution, you could put right. them in a line, right? Right, right. And be like, yes, all related. The, the blood is strong here. The genes are strong here. So not a surprise that he dies here. Emotional as it is. I mean, the way his face is all gnarled up, like the one eye is like kind of blown out of its socket. Oh, and he's jeez, Mike. Again, I was eating Chinese food. I couldn't even. <laughs> I was like, no. Oh, my. Sweet oh, man. This sweet and sour sauce looks like blood to me. It's crazy. No, it, it was, was crazy. Terrible. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I, can I know. tell you one more funny thing that happened to me during the massacre portion? I know a funny thing. Sure. So as the people were getting shot, I was like, Elizabeth, no, Jack. Oh, no. And my two of my three children are like, yes, mom. And I'm like, what? And they're like, you said Jack and Elizabeth. Those are two of my children's names that I 100% was yelling out in the living room. Jack, Elizabeth, no. And they're like, mom, what? 
<laughs> Very funny for me. I didn't connect it at all that they were well, my own kids' given names. what Jack and Elizabeth and Ashore are getting up to, I think that's oh, yeah, good my, that you didn't mine. necessarily associate your children with that. <laughs> that's nice. Can I also tell you, Jack Very Targaryen, really... uh, you know, Ooh, of you, of the no. House of Dragon. No, 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 no. You know what? Jack gives me um, hard uh, Teddy vibes from Westworld. Really a lot of James Marsden vibe off of him. Uh, yeah, a hundred percent. Let's let's break it down. Well, one, you were eating your Chinese food. Were yeah. you surprised at the level of viciousness? I mean, this was shock and this was devastation. Did that surprise you? The level of it? Did it surprise you happening in episode three? This is not. I mean, episode four is going to be kind of the midseason break, right? Where like we discussed at the top of this episode, there's going to be a four week break between episode four and episode five. But we're getting this in episode three. And there's still five episodes left to go. Well, they did dangle us, right? I mean, they did dangle us. We've got a gut wound, okay? We've got we've got a, a riddled body of bullets, right, when it comes to Harrison. But we've got a gut wound with Elizabeth. We've got Jack being able to talk. Now, did you see where he was shot exactly? It looked like shoulder or his upper That's arm. That's what I'm thinking, shoulder yeah. too. Very, very did, non-life-threatening, but, it felt Yeah, like. it seemed to avoid internal organs. Elizabeth is more sketchy, though. Those abdomen wounds are tough, tough business i don't right. know it what's did gonna look happen. now it did look to the side so if it you told me to it looked like it was on her her left side like way over there so if you told me it was yep. either a through and through that miraculously didn't hit anything i believe you given the placement of it if you told me maybe it hits a kidney and maybe she loses a kidney, kidney like I, I believe you but is is it far enough to the side that maybe it doesn't affect the womb if there is a baby there <gasps> Is it a what gut shot? Wound care? Is it, what's, what's the wound care look what's like in 1920? You know, if you tell me gut shots, you know, where it bleeds into your stomach or it bleeds into your abdomen and there's internal bleeding and they're extremely hard to save because of the internal bleeding, especially in 1923. Yeah, it's like there's just so many organs. I can't see her dying, though. The, a baby was prophesized. <laughs> a, a, yeah, they, a baby was promised it. to us. They foreshadowed a baby. Yeah, so I think this is a big red herring I, well here's the deal when you end an episode and no one is a hundred percent proclaimed dead with the exception of john uh, I, no one's proclaimed dead in the rest of that room I, it feels like then they're not dead and in and, and a good chance that they don't die do you think that we just have jacob like linger for another episode or two but then ultimately die or do you think he actually makes it out of this alive and is any of this vicious vengeance his fault in being so cutesy with his little let's see if your horses will keep you up on this hanging thing instead of just killing them all, including Banner? Like, is some of this on his shoulders for being too – he was being a little too silly acting with how he hung them all. He should have just hung them and did the job cleanly. Remember, he he talks about that, right? I mean, Jack asks him that around the campfire. Why leave them all alive? You know, he speaks for the audience. Why not just end them? That's a uh, Dutton should just end them. And he has this whole speech about, and I can play the clip again, but the, the short, the too long didn't read was I want someone to make it out of there and tell them what happens when you fuck with me. That's definitely come home to roost for him. So That's in hindsight, hubris biz yes, it's I a little hubris. Know. It's hubris biz. Listen, it's hubris biz. When you send your fucking cowboys off, you've got 20, you've got 14, if it's 14, you've got 14 cowboys with you. Keep them with you. Why are you sending it off to the ranch? What are they going to do at the ranch without you? you there keep them with you guys if you have your ladies with you <laughs> you have a wagon you are a mo you are a slow moving target 
don't send your fucking cowboys off. Keep them with you. Maybe you're still alive. Maybe your nephew is still alive, Jacob. Oh, Jacob. <laughs> you know what we should do? What we should do is we should send all the single strong cowboys away and leave the women and children and, and the slowest moving wagon ever behind. Let's let's have that be the plan. Always a terrible idea. But also, oh my God, were they outnumbered? How many horses and men came over that ridge? I was like, this is not like Banner just got together like five guys. Like... That was a lot. It was the Cam- it was Frank Campbell and the Archers, presumably. Frank Campbell and the Archers. When they were just riding around, literally just shooting at each other, yeah. I was like, this is crazy. This is like hand-to-hand combat, you know? Like, you're just right in each other's faces, like, shooting at each other. It was wild. And it lasted a long time. Yeah. It was very dry. Like, it took a while, which I give credit for. I, I I like that it doesn't seem like people have unlimited bullets, but the gunfight is kind of slow. There is some reloading happening. What did you think of Kara? We we haven't even mentioned this. We When I saw her with the blue house coat, it took me so long to put it together, but it was riding back after he sends off Zane and the cowboys to ride ahead of them. I noticed that she's wearing the blue house coat from the opening scene of episode one, and I was like... <gasps> Something bad is going to happen. I, I I was really truly shocked at the level of massacre that took place here. It, it was wicked. It really did catch me with surprise, and I and I pride myself on not being a, surprised by a lot in television because given the amount that I watch, did now seeing the episode one opener that dramatic moment with her shooting the guy begging for his life in hell and heaven did that all feel earned in the scene and again are you surprised that we're getting that in episode three when it was when the version in 1883 was like episode five four five six you know the the episode one cold open happened quick for me it did seem sooner than I expected it to to get that scene but it was satisfying I think it was very earned I mean that scream I mean, it. I can't imagine being in this situation. I can't imagine. I mean, you really have to watch all that Helen Mirren is doing in that scene that her traversing the the battlefield, essentially, you know, with no cover, with no nothing. Right. And she's so brave. She's running back and forth. She's 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 holding, you know, the wounds close. She's not leaving him and, and trying to find cover. She's she's staying with Jacob. She's she is absolutely just torn to bits about what has happened here you know all of these all of these men around her are her family and and to watch all this happening and then even to see her empathy when it came to emma coming over to see john and her trying for a moment no no emma don't look at him like that and it was like what <laughs> look at him like what <laughs> Exactly. And I mean, but at the same time, at least she had she had a moment of of wanting to protect Emma if she could. Now, obviously, it was a split second. It wasn't Emma was going to see, but it was just like the desire to want to protect everybody just with her arms, practically not even with a gun, just her arms. She's just running in the field, trying to run to different people. You're like, oh, my God, I, I felt her adrenaline. I felt her desperation. And then to see, you know, the top two men of this ranch be gunned down. 
after she does that flip move over the log, I was like, this woman is just riding on pure, pure adrenaline at this moment. And her blowing that guy away. I mean, oh, thank God he had such fumbly fingers, you know, because she she won the day there. Yeah, no, 100%. And she's not done, right? She lets out that grief scream, but she still has work to do, and she gets right back into it. When they convert, I mean, she she is in full charge when they convert the kitchen into the ER. And, I, you know, you got to give Helen Mirren a lot of credit. She can act her ass off. She is in full charge here. She's operating on adrenaline, like you said, but she still takes a moment to gasp at the horror of her husband of 44 years being riddled with fucking bullets. When she opens up his shirt, she falters in a way, and it's only a second, and she collects herself, and she gets back to work. But, man, a masterclass in acting with your face and, and just the right just the right spirit of what the moment should look like. It, it was impressive. It made me it made me feel it, the horror of it, as if I was really there just watching her react to opening up his shirt and seeing her husband riddled with all those bullets. And the fact that he was still breathing. She yeah. she she's she's knocked back for a second, but then she collects herself. The way when people get shot by machine guns in you know, I don't know, I have no idea what it's like in real life, thank goodness, but um, but on TV shows and like their whole their whole body does that like shake rumbly yeah, yeah yeah where they're it's hitting them and their bodies are moving and the it's hitting them and their bodies can, yeah. moving ah uh, and to see you know for us Harrison Ford is very grandfatherly I think to me and you of, of like age wise and so to see him shake like that shake back and forth as the bolts are hitting him oh I thought visually it was it was very well done and I mean I could feel it viscerally I mean I was like just staring at the screen like oh my god like where would you run where would you go especially oh my god that one part when they're all trying to get off the wagon and then the horses start to run away and they're without cover right and they and and like they're kind of chasing after it like trying to stay kind of like it was almost Uh, like a monty python like a monty python skit where like they're trying to imagine though the the sheer terror oh that's the ambush they're ambushed in the serengeti in the serengeti of montana they have been ambushed by the hyenas Yelp, and it's just insane. So, you know, I if you, I love the metaphor of the of these guys being the hyenas, being sort of like the scavengers, Jackals low guys. At the feast, yeah. yeah, the low guys on the totem pole. They're just here to kind of like wreak havoc, and nobody has respect for the hyenas. You know, no, and Banner and his car and his Tommy gun is the lion, and and his and his henchmen are are the the jackals, scavengers, just cleaning up the mess afterwards so crazy what did you think about like man versus woman like were they willing to kill everybody or did they kind of shoot around the women i know elizabeth got hit but emma and kara were really just walking through most of they that they did walk through the bullets i think i i my guess is they probably weren't targeting them necessarily but i don't think they would have been upset had they been hit i mean the second bullet so the second bullet the first bullet kills bob strafford elizabeth's father Remember the whole two weeks? What difference does it make when you get married and you know yeah. that that man was going to walk her down the aisle and all that stuff? It's like, <gasps> yeah. so for those that weren't sure, that is Bob Strafford on the horse. He's the one you get. I mean, the bullet hits him so hard he gets thrown off of the horse. He's the first one down. That's Elizabeth's father. In case because it was like a far, like it was a it, it was, was a pullout shot. It was a zoomed out yeah. shot. I went and I located a, a, a photo from the scene that had the castle scene just to confirm it. I was pretty sure just to confirm the who it was and. 
it was it was uh, I believe it's Tim Decay is his name um, mm-hmm. plays Bob Strafford. So Bob Strafford dead. The second bullet hits Elizabeth. Now they're probably aiming for Jack because he's sitting right next to her, and he I think takes the third bullet, like we said, in his upper arm. They're probably aiming for his head or his chest. But the second bullet hits Elizabeth. So I don't think they were necessarily targeting the women, but they weren't not targeting them either if they got caught in the crossfire. So. Sometimes there's weird, like, gentleman agreements on that kind of stuff where it's like, you know, it's it's uncouth to shoot the women and children. Sure. Murder everyone else, but leave the women and children. <laughs> right. There's still business to be done, right, though, because Kara has business of trying to save her husband. Jack and Elizabeth seem to be less urgent, uh, clearly seem to be less urgent than the riddled old man who's laying, dying, at you know, on her kitchen table. But Jacob himself, though, also has business that he needs to get out some warning. Let's listen. Let's listen to some of the instruction that he has for Zane and then that he has for uh, Kara here as he's maybe having his last breaths in the kitchen. Jake, you're going to be fine. Did you get them all? One drove off. I'll send for the sheriff first thing. Oh, sheriff. I find out what they've done to me. They'll come for this place. The pigs, miners, the thieves. No, sheriff. Uh, it's just no use. You're still talking. You're still breathing. Honey. I'll not quit. Spencer must come home now. Get him home. So clear instructions. Zane has to go find who did this and and whoever is still alive to, to work on it has to go do some Dutton cowboy justice. No sheriff, which is interesting because the sheriff is an ally here. But this is this is crossed lines, I think, for Jacob, where this has to be done. And, and I think, like he says in the clip, I think it's more about not that he doesn't think the sheriff is an ally. I think Sheriff McDowell is an ally to him and the Duttons. But it's more about if you tell the sheriff, then the news is going to spread. Banner and his henchmen, aren't nece- the ones that are still alive, um, aren't necessarily going to spread what happened here because they'd be implicated in it so as long as the dutton side doesn't spread then jacob dutton being dead or near death and the massacre of the death of john the maybe taking out jack and spencer's not home doesn't spread so you avoid the bankers the miners the thieves which i think maybe include the bankers and the miners Agree. And and it makes complete sense to me. Like, there's no way you want to admit any weakness, you know, is going on at the at the ranch at all, even if it's just in terms of like leadership and that type of thing. Like, you don't want to let anyone know. I mean, compare it to the wilds of Africa. You can't let anyone smell blood in the water, right? You can't because it's just going to lead to more packs coming to find you. Um, this is very attractive ground and this is very attractive to find such a strong leader compromised at this point. So, so can you imagine how many people he's pissed off over the years that would like to come take a bite while he's like laying on his back? It's not unlike when Vito Corleone was was gunned down and then they took to the hospital and Michael and the baker had to protect him and move him and stand outside the hospital and, and protect him. And people came to kill his father. Mm-hmm. You know, he lay dying and, you know, he this was is what people do is the second that they smell a weakness. That was a Godfather in our movie roundup podcast. <laughs> Godfather part one. <laughs> Let, let's talk about the implications of this, though, because I, we'll, we'll talk about Karen, her letter that her narrative 
narrated letter to Spencer at the end. But she says in this, she's fully prepared that by the time Spencer reaches this, John's definitely dead. Jack has been wounded. She says, more likely than not, your uncle's going to be dead by the time you reach this. Kara is already starting to process the fact that Harrison Ford is going to die here. But let's talk about that in the real world sense. Would it shock you if they kill Harrison Ford, if they kill him in episode three? Will this show lose viewers for those people that only tuned in to watch Harrison Ford? Has 1923 entrenched itself for that group? And I don't think it's a small group that turned in to see Harrison Ford specifically. Have they done enough to keep those viewers if they bump him off this above the fold star Right. It's Helen Mirren, Harrison Ford, then 1923. They don't appear below 1923. They appear above it. Are, is the show going to suffer viewership wise if he, in fact, does die in this episode? Well, let's suffer viewership wise. Well, I mean, I think that any show that's willing to take those types of risks and kill off such main stars stays exciting for most audience members, right? Like they don't want to lose those big guys. But at the same time, it shows us that the stakes are enormously high and anyone can go at any time. So I think for that portion, that actually makes it more exciting that you want to keep watching. But I do understand for those who, you know, fell in love with the relationship between Kara and Jacob, this is going to be a big turnoff. I do have to say the fact that Jacob decided to start giving sort of instructions and didn't go right to like the I love you, Kara, or, you know, any of that kind of business. There seems to be fight left in him. Like he is still going to try to lead. And so that's what well, she says. You're still breathing. You're still talking, Jacob. Yeah, but he chooses to talk about Spencer and stuff like that. Not like I love you, Kara. You know, you've always been a good wife. Like that kind of stuff. like that's like I've got 10 more breaths left. But if you're going to be talking about, listen, who's going to lead and who's going to do something, then you're still you're even better off at that point, I guess is what I'm trying to say, because you think you still have a little more time. I think we have him for another episode, but I bet after that it's it's 50 50. I think I think we have him in episode four. I agree with you. I think he's 50 four. I think it's 50 50. I don't think it's necessary. I think I think it's 50 50. I think he makes it home to right before I think he makes it to right before Spencer gets there is my guess. So my guess is we lose him in episode five. And that makes total sense to me because that would be the type, the timing of, you know, there there does have to be that like handing off of the baton a little bit. And I do think they're going to, I think they'll do that kind of smoothly. I think they will be, maybe he makes it in time to say goodbye. Sorry for not, you know, coming sooner, that kind of thing. Something, maybe, maybe. But I, I do not see I, four and five, five at the best, man. That's as far as he makes it. Yeah, that, that feels right to me. And, and it feels like they, I think they justify the pumping up of the big name star if they make it to five because you have you have more than half of the season with him and then you presumably still have Helen Mirren right 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 right. and and it suits the Sheridan story um sort of vibes that a woman would carry it out to the end you know I I don't think that it had to be Harrison that that took us to the end of it I don't think it was ever going to be Harrison I the same way this was never going to be John Senior's story I don't think this was ever going to be Jacob Dutton's story I never I never thought that this was always going to be Jack or 
and or Spencer's story. Yeah. And he had it last long enough for everybody to believe him in the in the role and believe that this is what the role is. And then now that's been well established and he's expressed his concerns. We've seen the jobs he's held like like commissioner and, and things like that. So we have a sense of what Spencer has to fill, you know, with his shoes. Like we get it. We get what the role is. Whereas if we didn't have so much time with Jacob, I think we would, you know, be like, well, I don't know how he's going to take over the ranch or what that looks like. I 100% agree. Just circling back to what he's doing with the, these these last breaths that maybe he has. Yes, last breaths, you go to the I love you camera, but a Dutton is always going to spend their last breaths first and foremost talking about what the ranch and the land needs before anything else. I, I don't expect Kevin Co- Kevin Costner, when he gets to his deathbed, to be talking about I love you kids before before saying what needs to happen to protect the ranch. Go back to Dabney Coleman, who we see his death scene. We see Kevin Costner's father's final moment. He dies next to his son. His final words, or the one of the final words were, don't let them take the ranch don't sell it don't let them take it and and that man was a thousand years old and it was his last words the duttons the duttons first and foremost always is the land protect the land protect this land so i i really like that's how he's spending his moments here more than the i love you cara I just think he still thinks he has a couple more minutes. That's all I'm saying is like, if he thought this was his, if he felt it in his bones, in his own Harrison Ford bones, if he's like, I got 10 more breaths, then I'm out. I, he spends those breaths saying, I love you to care. I don't think he does. I think if he I only has 10 does. breaths, I think he spends the first eight telling someone what has to happen. Kara, <laughs> Spencer needs to come home. But the last two are Kara's. Sure. But the first so? eight are Zane, no sheriff. And <laughs> that's right. the first four. The I next, the, the next four are Kara, Spencer has to come home home now come home get him home and then the last you are like I love gross hey can we have like one second moment because we're talking about Kara and Jacob can we talk about their little shave scene for just a second when we're talking about greed and all that yep let's play the clip you could watch me too I suppose you know it's all the rage now women shaving their legs beneath their arms Interesting fad, to be sure. I wonder what that says about us as a species. Mm. I mean, it's not as if women were running a straight razor down their legs a decade ago. They invented a razor specifically for women when no need for one existed, and then invented the need, as if selling razors to half the population wasn't enough. What? Didn't say a word. But don't you find it curious? I'm not curious. It's greed. That's it. Exactly. That's exactly my point. What does that say about us as a species? It'll be the thing that ends us. Greed will be the thing that kills us all. I'm sure you're right. I think greed is absolutely going to end this whole crew, but not necessarily their greed. I think outside greed is 100% going to grab onto this family and shake them for all it's worth. And that's all we've been seeing that's been going on. So I worry because this is a huge uh, prediction coming out of Kara's mouth that greed is going to get everybody worried about this group. Yeah, again, I, the one of the things I think 1923 is doing really well are these metaphors. And, and maybe it's a little heavy handed, but I'm enjoying it. And this idea of shaking as a metaphor for greed will be the end of us all because what does it say about our species and again again the animal and the darwin and the evolution and our species 
she's in fact right. The greed about this land will be the end of them all. I, I don't think any Dutton grows up having any delusions that they're more likely to die because of something to do with the land than any other reason. I, I agree. I also, though, have to say that I loved the scene between them because it was so small and it was so basic. But at the same time, they respected each other when they talked to each other. You know, when she was like, when she was like, you know, do you know, want to know what I think? And he's like, can't wait to hear what you think. <laughs> like, you know, because we've seen that same back and forth before. And in a sitcom or something, it would be like the laugh track and the man would roll his eyes yeah. and, you know, dismiss her and be like, you're so lame, you know. And instead, they really had like a great rapport between the two of them where you could see the mutual respect. The bulk of life is lived in between the big things. It's about watching your spouse shave and talking to them just to talk to them. And and while the greed clip that we just played is really useful to the show for foreshadowing and, and metaphor, it's this part that is this clip of that conversation I'm about to play that really captures 44 years of marriage in a single moment clip. And, and I loved it. Now. What'd you really want to talk about? Oh, nothing really. I just wanted to talk and I wanted you to listen and you did. I wonder if you know how rare that is. Know how rare you are. Which is why it is a pleasure and a joy to listen to you babble on about utter nonsense. It's not nonsense. One day, women will be shaving between their legs because some razor company told them to. You watch. I won't be there to watch. Breakfast? Breakfast be lovely. I like the breakfast be lovely. All right, but breakfast be lovely. <laughs> I love that she predicts bikini waxes. She's, she gets it. She, she gets it. She gets it. Brazilians, yeah. Her line, I just wanted to talk and I wanted you to listen. Oh, you guys, that's all that. Well, we're podcasters, so for God's sake, all we want to do is talk and for someone to listen, right? That could it's, be a, it could be Pod Clubhouse. We just want to talk and we want someone to listen. Very true. But if you didn't know that, I had several parts of my notes in this episode. Caroline will resonate with this. Uh -oh. This was one of those parts when she said, I just wanted you to talk. I, I just wanted to talk and wanted you to listen. Very much a Caroline line that resonated with me so and the line well, that resonated me when it. he looks in the mirror and he says when did this old man get here man oh. that fucking resonated with my ass tell Whoa. me did you look at did you like go and look at yourself in the mirror were you like what but did you love that she said i've never seen this i, I never seen this guy before yeah i thought it was very i see i think i it was very westworld like i don't i don't see anything yeah, it doesn't look like anything to me. That's like what I, that's what I wanted to. Feel it was like. also a nice callback though, too, because we didn't even talk about when these when these monkeys were coming home from uh, from the cattle drive, and and Elizabeth runs out, and so yes. Jack starts to race towards the barn, all the and then falling all the falling. My well, just the running at the barn, which anyone who's <laughs> ever watched Yellowstone falling. knows, you don't run horses at the barn. It's very yeah. unsafe, and you have Zane <sighs> scolding them. And and mm. even Harrison and even Jacob takes off right, racing at the barn and and Kara scolds him. I know you're not racing your horse across the field to me, Jacob Tutton. And mm. and he's like then he's like slow old man getting off the horse. He's like I'm not racing anything. They even cut the camera though, Mike. Like they show him start to get off, then they cut the camera to her, and then he's down on the ground. You know, like three men help him get off that. Yeah, horse. but he's like talking about so this scene, this this old man scene. This is a callback. This is really the continuation of him getting off the horse. And he's like I don't know what. 
when I got so old. Like he's <laughs> feeling it. Like, and when you take into account what happens at the end of this episode, it all is painting a picture of Jacob. Jacob's life is almost, almost run. This is a man in his seventies. And what's the age expected to you read? 50, 50, 56. 56, yeah. I mean, he's lived the life and he's lived even longer than he should have for this time period. Jacob knows his time is coming, even without the massacre. He's feeling his age and his, and his time, his fleeting moment, his, his Alex, we're so small. We're here for a moment, a blink and, a, and then we're gone. He knows, he knows it. These, these people are close to the land. They all live life intensely to circle back to a an episode theme and jacob knows that his race is almost run he knows at the beginning of the episode he knows it here when he's shaving he knows it when he is trying to give them orders as he's bubbling blood out of his mouth at the end of the episode Ew, it's, it's a very sweet moment i'm happy that we got these moments i think harrison ford and helen mirren these two characters have been best as characters in the three episodes we've seen with them when they are together from their first time in bed together, where they're recounting what the wedding night is like in this scene, all of these small moments that we've seen them have together is where their characters have been most believable because again, life for me is lived in these small moments. It's not lived in the big moments. It's lived in these moments that we get to see. So we had the small moment, which was important, I think, to have the small moments uh, in, the, in the shaving, in the bathroom, in the breakfast, because of what happens in the episode. Now you need the balance, right? You need the good so you could appreciate the horror. You need the horror so that you appreciate the sweet moments. We have to get to the end of the episode, the very final part of the episode, where Kara, the regular doctor, has shown up. So Kara is relieved. She leaves the kitchen. She goes out, pen and paper. She begins her second letter to Spencer in, what, less? than a week but this one is much more dire than just i'm lonely without you here the house is too quiet this letter has a lot more import and importance to it spencer your brother has been killed by the time you receive this letter i suppose your uncle has been killed as well your nephew has been wounded this ranch and your legacy are in peril War has descended upon this place and your family. Whatever war you fight within yourself must wait. You must come home and fight this one. I mean, th that's it right there, right? That's the setup for the next arc of this show. Whatever war you're fighting inside has to wait. You have to come home and fight this war. The war has come home. It is the name of the fucking episode. Let, let's not let's not beat around the bush. Let's not have any illusions about what we're talking about here. There is now limited Duttons left in this world that can pick up a gun and fight. Spencer, you have to come home. It's time, Spencer. Now, let's talk about some logistics here, because it, it, not more than two weeks, probably about a week. A little, It's a little wishy-washy on how long they were gone on the cattle drive and the hanging of sheep herder men let's say a week she wrote a letter when they were gone she's writing this letter now i don't know how long letters take to reach east africa in this time point but why doesn't she send the telegraph i looked into it i did all sorts of research i'll put it in the facebook group i'm not going to up on the page i'm not going to to read from exploring africa you know, dot edu. I, I read deep into telegraphs and when when they reached East Africa. 
rest assured, the telegraph system was set up in East Africa by the turn of the century. By 1923, telegrams are a thing. Most of Africa is wired, including Kenya area, Zanzibar area, which is the island right off of East Africa, and the um, Tanzania area, which is where they're actually in. Uh, they're south of Kenya now. They're in what is now present-day Tanzania. All are wired for telegrams. The major cities are. Why isn't she sending a telegram? Why not go into Bozeman? She should be going into Bozeman and sending a telegram to get this information to him faster. No, how long? It has to be quicker than getting a letter. I mean, it would be quicker than getting a letter, but I don't know how. I mean, I don't think anyone's going back to town right now. You know, you already discussed it would be like 11 hours or something to get back there. So she's going to have to go back into town to mail the letter. Right. I mean, dude, I I, I know, I know, (laughs) I know. I can't I can't explain it, but she's going to send somebody to Bozeman for sure. You know, I agree with you. I don't I think it's going to take a really long time, but that's why I think he lasts like a little longer. We get the linger. It's for that letter to get there. Right. And I think episode four is probably going to pick up right after this because you have you have immediate questions that have to be answered but i get i my guess is episode five is going to feature a time jump because we're not going to have a bunch of episodes i don't think we're, they're going to wait until the end of the season for spencer to get home they can't there's not a, there's not enough duttons you can't put this on jack's shoulder you need you need a grown-ass man like spencer to come take care of this so my guess is the back half of the episodes is going to be a time jump of some time spencer coming home and then getting back to work that that's my guess i'm curious feels right on do you have any guesses? Do you have any questions that you need answered? What What are you left with at the end of this episode, which ends up being episode three, a pivotal episode in the series? Well, it feels like it feels like everyone got kind of scattered here, you know, in terms of just like I'm thinking of like the like the blown apartness of like shrapnel right so it's that's how it feels it feels like our group got blown up and now we've got to have spencer get back over here as soon as possible and put things back together you know right the ship and be able to fight off whoever else is coming because whoever that kid was in the alley i think that guy is still going to be working on grinding down the duttons so i think the sheep herders were just one the first lob if you will at the at the ranch but I think there's more coming. So that's what I predict. I predict more gunfire, more fighting, more more Duttons trying to protect the their ranch. And the gritty details, mm, I I think I think that Elizabeth and Jack make it for a while, but I I, I never ever see those two making it like long term for this whole 1923. I think I think Jack's got to die, man, and we've got to have a kid from Elizabeth. So that's what I'm looking at coming right up. I think we're still on track with Spencer coming home and becoming the new patriarch and raising, my guess is raising a child not of his own. That was, that was our theory that we set out in uh, episode one. I think he ends up through whatever happens. I think he is going to be, I think he's going to wind up raising a child of Jack and Elizabeth. I think that's still right. For me, the big question, other than we know Spencer has to come home, other than the question of does Jacob live and for how long? I think the big question is who is funding Banner? I, I, I really want to stress how important it is that this guy does not own a car he cannot afford a tommy gun and and someone is funding him someone who sees the duttons as 
as an enemy or at least is opportunistic with Banner having the bloodlust upon him. Now, from the trailers, we know Timothy Dalton, for those who have seen the trailer, and if you don't want to be spoiled at all, this is not spoilers as I see them because this is information in the trailer. Timothy Dalton is joining the show and in the trailer says, I'm your new neighbor. I've taken over the Stratford farm, which makes sense or the Stratford Ranch, which makes sense because Bob Stratford's now dead. It makes sense that no matter what happens to Elizabeth, it makes sense that the Stratford farm or ranch is going to go up for sale. Timothy Dalton plays a character named Donald Whitfield. He, in the trailer, says, I am the one doing it. It makes sense to me that this is like a Bob Jenkins from Yellowstone season one, right? This is a new neighbor to the Yellowstone that is going to threaten the Yellowstone. My guess is he's the one funding Banner, but that's just conjecture. I haven't seen episode four yet. That's what's happening as soon as we press stop here. Uh, we're going to go watch our screener for episode four. But that's my guess. My guess is Banner's being funded, and it's going to be the Timothy Dalton character, which we haven't met yet. Great episode. I, I really thought, you know, this wasn't going to be a lot to talk about. And here we are now over two hours. We've talked about You this, didn't so. think there'd be a lot to talk about? Oh, my God. I The entire time I was watching this in a hotel room and I was like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. It's like one of those <laughs> things. But it's also like, you know, like the massacre is such a, a huge part of this. But at the same time, it's like a lot of people shot and three people died and three people were critically wounded. OK. Like, like you know, it's like, right. you know, like now. Like but like, but right. as always, you and I always uh, we always we, we get into the marrow of the bone. So. We absolutely do. Thank you guys so much for sucking on the bone with us. Yeah. Getting to the marrow. <laughs> Three times. Day's and not over is... yet. Before, before we're done sucking on the marrow, sucking on that bone with y'all, Tiona Rainwater, not in this episode. I found that I watched this episode three times before it hit me. We did not see her. I was very perplexed about this. Now, a lot happened in this episode and it required a lot of time. But that seems to be a major storyline. I found it very interesting that we're only at episode three and we've already now excluded that storyline from an episode. Thoughts on the fact that she wasn't in this? Did you even realize that she wasn't in this? I mean, so much happened here. Maybe a lot of people didn't even realize that this storyline wasn't touched upon here. But not even one scene. Nothing. Nothing at the residential school in this episode. Well, on first watch, I didn't notice because the massacre was so, like, shocking. But I I did notice on the second one. And all I can think, I'm going to lean into your time jump idea that, like, you know, we this needed to happen. And then maybe we're going to get a little bit further down the line and then pick back up with her, which hopefully means we pick up further with the grandmother and further along with getting her somewhere else and all that. So it kind of allows us to miss some of that that interim of of all the nitty gritty that's going to have to go on to get her out of there. But maybe we can see some actual move if we've now got the Duttons in a position where we need to time jump a little bit. Does that make sense? That is a good explanation as to why we didn't see it here. So we can move that story. Because honestly, I don't know that I need to see another episode of her being abused in some kind of way. Let's move not, that along. Not static, right. It has to be in it for something or like to, to some end, you know, like that's that's why it was so great to see the grandmother come in on the scene. I don't want that necessarily a day by day. Whereas the Duttons, you can live a day by day because it's not necessarily harrowing things happening day by day nothing good happens to tiona on a day-by-day basis let's so 
let's jump a little bit with her character so we right. can we could see something new happening with her and maybe getting off of getting out of North Dakota, as it were. Agreed. This is Caroline. And this is Mike. Thank you for listening to the Yellowstone Podcast 1923 edition. If you wouldn't mind heading over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts and rate, review, and subscribe while you're there so you never miss an episode that we're always slipping into your, your feed. That would be great. And while you're there, if you could leave us a five-star rating, because you know why? We think you're the bee's knees. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you. 